are going to be, I've mentioned, and I'll just remind you, as we go through talking about different terms and different words, it's not, gonna, it's not like sitting in a preaching service. It's almost like we're sitting in a classroom setting, learning a bunch of definitions and learning a bunch of different words. When we talk about the law and grace, there are lots of ideas that people have. And you gotta be and you gotta understand that the law played an important part in things, and we live under grace today. And grace is not there to make it so you can live and do as you please, but you also don't have to keep the law to have grace because that's not how it works. And we're gonna talk about some of those things. The Bible makes it clear, and I want you to take your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter number two. And then we'll get to our notes there in a minute. If you notice in your notes there, there are a ton of verses there. I put them all there so that way you can read through them and see them later on. We're going to look at the law and see how it's broken down into some, some um, categories and look at that as well. So we're going to basically define law and then we're going to define grace and tie it all together by the end. And you look, and I know there's a lot of pages in your notes if you're keeping all these notes, you're going to have a book of notes before too long. And uh, a lot. if you were to take out all these verses that I give you, the notes would only be half that size. I want you to have the verses, though, so you can look these things up. Ephesians chapter number 2. When you look with me down at verse number 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's read those two verses one more time tonight. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we look at these passages tonight. And I pray that you would just guide us and help us as we look at this and help us to learn some things tonight. And maybe there's some in the room, they already got this all figured out, but I'm sure there's someone here that doesn't have it all figured out. I pray that it would be a help and a benefit to everyone listening tonight. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, I also wanted to mention tonight, you could just tell there's something all day, you can just tell it's been a weird day, kind of, and just one of those days, it's, I don't know what it is. It's Russ's birthday, so that's why it's several one of those days. And so I asked him how he felt about this birthday, and he says he feels very revolutionary. He's 76, so that's where that came from there. So, But I know that, you know, last week we sang happy birthday to you because they made me do that last week. That was all. That was all them. That had nothing to do with me. I just did what I was told. But I know, I know Russ would feel not as special if we didn't sing happy birthday to him tonight. So, <laughs> anyways, let's sing happy birthday to Russ tonight, all right? Here we go. Happy. You want to stand up? Go ahead. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Or Russ, Russell, whoever you are, happy birthday to you. Seventy-six. I, you don't look a day over seventy-six. So, 
Anyway, so happy, happy birthday to you, Russ. And so that'll be tomorrow, right? And so happy birthday to you. And so that's a good thing. And um, all right, let's get to our notes tonight. The law and grace. I want to give you some terms to remember tonight when we talk about the law and things, and we'll define these a little bit more later. But the first one, number one, I want you to tonight, we're going to look at legalism. I want you to remember this word. And legalism is the teaching that men are saved through keeping the law. Now, if you were to look, and for many years, that's as far as that definition would need to go. But, and we are a Baptist church, so I would say in our Baptist circles, there's been things that have crept in that is a type of legalism, which I'm going to mention here. So my definition for legalism has broadened. So the teaching that men are saved through keeping the law or that men can get closer to God based on their works. You get closer to God, you can't get any closer than what you are. Now, sin can separate you. There are things there. We're going to talk about this later on. But there's a whole sect of Baptists that literally their performance-based, they feel, gets them closer to God by what they do. And that's not a biblical thing. Now, that doesn't excuse not living holy, and we'll talk about that later. We'll get there. But we look at, first of all, the term legalism. The second one, and this one is a little, it's a big word, antinomianism. And this is the idea that men can live their lives however they wish, and salvation is all of grace. There's a lot of people that believe this. Now, before, one of the things I didn't do a second ago is we talked about legalism. I didn't give you some verses. I want to give you some verses. So Acts chapter 15, verse number 1, the Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So do you see how they were adding the Old Testament law to salvation? Do you see that there? And then we see in verse number 11 of that same passage, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. We see it's about his grace and what the Lord has done. And in Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Keeping the law does not get you saved or keep you saved, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. As we looked at the second definition, the second word here, antinomianism. There's a couple verses, Romans chapter 6, verse number 1, and there are those out there that say, so I'm under God's grace, I can live and do as, my, as I please, I can live, I can sin, I can do all these, it just doesn't matter. And what did Paul say? Romans 6, 1, what shall we th say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And no, God forbid, that's not how it's supposed to be. The Bible tells us in James chapter number 2, verse 24, do you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? I'm giving you one verse there. Say, so, well, if we're justified by faith, how are we justified by our works? You've got to look at the two books and where they're written. The book of James is practical Christian living. So the way that people view us, so you are justified in this world's eyes by the way you live. That's what this is saying. In God's eyes and the one who totally matters, you are justified by faith. And that's how Abraham was. And then the third one is, I like calling it Galatianism. And that's the error that men are saved by grace, but they're kept by obeying the law. And really how some 
Baptists feel that you can get closer to God by certain things that you do. It almost fits better in with this one here. But the Bible tells us in Galatians 3, verse number 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Verse 3 of that same chapter says, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Now may I just tell you something and help you tonight. Do you know there are a lot of people that do get saved? And after they get saved, they don't get taught the truth of God's word. And by not getting taught the truth in God's word, they get led astray on all sorts of things. Like there are many people, they trust Christ for their salvation, and they get saved, but then later on they doubt their salvation, and they don't know if they are eternally saved or not. Now, if they were banking on themselves to keep themselves saved in the beginning, that's different. If you trust Christ as your Savior, that's what salvation is. It's a learning process that happens, and sometimes I think, we look at certain people and we feel, oh, well, they're not saved. How do you know someone just didn't teach them wrong doctrine and mess them? You say, well, the Holy Spirit, they're new to Christ. That's why it's important that someone who knows the truth of God's word teach them the truth so that someone doesn't come in and bewitch them as the verse we read a minute ago. Because there are people who want, and the devil wants a new Christian not to know the truth and to get off on some crazy thing. And so this happens. Verse number 10 of Galatians 3 tells us, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Unless you, unless you keep every law, the law can't save you. And none of us keep all the law. I did have someone try to convince me one time they keep all of the law. And so what I did was I took them to Exodus chapter 20. That's where we began. I said, okay, you've never, take, you've never, uh, never taken God's name in vain. No. Did you ever disobey your parents? Yeah. Honor thy father and thy mother. Did you ever want something that was someone else's? Yeah, we all break the law. And once you break the law in one point, you're guilty of all, and we'll talk more about that tonight. Those are terms I want you to know. Now let's talk about, let's get into the law, and then we'll get into grace in just a little bit tonight. Let's start off Roman numeral number one with the law defined. What is the law? The law. When we talk about the law according to the Bible, it is the law of God is the eternal and unchangeable rule of his moral government. We're going to look deeper at this tonight. But you've got to understand, God's law doesn't change. It's unalterable truth. It's something that's always applied. It's always there. And you've got to understand something. God gave his law through Moses. The Bible tells us, if you want to take your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus chapter 19. we look at verse number 2 and verse number 3 here, we see the Bible says, For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mountain. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him 
out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. We see that God gave his law, and this right after this when the law starts coming out. God gave his law to Moses to give to the people. So as we look at this, first of all, I want you to understand letter A. We see that the law of God is the law of Moses. The law of God is the law of Moses. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter number, um, Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 24, it says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. So do you see how it's interchangeable, the law of Moses and the law of the Lord? It's the same thing. And we see every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so we see here that these terms, they're interchangeable. The law was given to us by Moses through God. So if it's the law of Moses, the law of the Lord, it's the same thing there. But the difference between this law and every other law set forth is the fact that God's law is a spiritual law. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now what I want you to understand is that there are a lot of, let's look at the laws of the United States. They're not spiritual. They might have some spiritual backing in them, but God's law is spiritual. You can go back to the days, the code of, what was it, Hammurabi, way back then? That's not spiritual. That was a man's code that was put in place. The law of God, the law of Moses, it's spiritual in its content. And so, and we think about those things. The Bible tells us in Exodus 31, 18, And he gave unto Moses when he had an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. So the commands and what God did and what God gave is so different than any other laws that have ever been set forth. You know, like, I'm grateful tonight. I'm grateful we live in the United States. You know, Russ, 76, and we think of 1776. I'm grateful for the Bill of Rights. I'm grateful for the Constitution of the United States, which most of our politicians don't have a clue what the Constitution is or the Bill of Rights. And yet they say they promise to uphold and defend the Constitution. They don't have a clue what it says. And I think, I, think they are, I think the Constitution is one of the best written documents in the history of the world. But it is not written by God. It might have some of God's truths in it, but it's not God's. It's just like some of you in this room, you like commentaries and you like books about the Bible. That's good, great, and wonderful, and there are commentaries everywhere. There are a lot of great commentaries, and then there are some really bad commentaries, too. And that's the thing. Those commentaries are not from God. They might include God's word, and I, but you've got to understand, when men do something, it's not always correct. When God does, it's always correct. So when we look at this, the law of God, it's spiritual. Now, when we look at this, I want to break this down the law a little bit more. We see letter B, that the law of Moses consists of three different sections. Three different sections. And when we look at this and we think about this, we see number one, 
we see the commandments, or we would call this the moral law. And when we think of the commandments, we think of the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17. That is the moral law. May I just remind you tonight, we talk about we're under grace, and Jesus did away with the ceremonial law, didn't he? And we'll talk about that here in a couple minutes. But you understand, the moral law didn't go away. It didn't all of a sudden, it's okay to kill people now. No, it's not. Everyone knows inside of themselves it's not right to kill somebody else. Say, so well, why is that? Because the Bible makes it clear that in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the mean, well, accusing or else excusing one another. You see, the fact that the moral law is written, everybody knows. You know that it's not right to kill somebody. You know it's not right to steal. You know it's not right to commit adultery. We know those things without even being, we know those things. That's the moral law. And we see those in Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments when we look there. So we see, first of all, number one, you have the commandments. Number two, you have the judgments or the civil law. And the civil law, if you were to look at the civil laws, that would be Exodus 21 through Exodus 24, those chapters there. And primarily you'll see a repeat of these things in the book of Deuteronomy. What you see in chapter 21 through 24, you see again in Deuteronomy. And this is the civil law. It has to do with hygiene. It does with human relationships, crimes, and punishments. And then you have, number three, you have the ordinances, which is the ceremonial law, the offerings, the priesthood, the feast, the Sabbath, things of that nature, which is literally the book of Leviticus, which you would find in Exodus 24 through chapter 31. And so you see those things. When Christ died on the cross, and Christ, you got to understand why we don't follow the Sabbath today, is because that was done away with through Jesus Christ. The ordinances were done away with. There's no need for the priesthood anymore, because you have Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. You didn't have to make the offering, the sacrifice anymore, because Jesus Christ was our sacrifice once for all. And like there's certain people will look and, well, I have certain dietary restrictions. Those went away. Thank God. I'm grateful for the bacon I had yesterday. Thank God for that. You say, why didn't God want them to eat bacon back in those days? I think it's so we had enough for us today. If they were allowed to eat all the bacon back then, it would be all gone and it wouldn't be here. You had to give the pigs long enough to build up enough of them so we could all enjoy bacon. And I'm teasing when I say all that there, but I am grateful. We get, I'm grateful. So, well, is it a, and then there, you got to understand there are some people that they don't believe that they should. So let them believe that. Teach their own. It's all good. But thank God, I'm glad I get to anyways. And uh, there's lots more I could say down that road. But we see that the law is broken up into those three sections. You have the commandments, the moral law, you have the civil law, and you have the ceremonial laws. And you could look at, our, at the United States and you look at our laws, a lot of the civil laws you read about in the Bible, there are a lot of laws that are here in America that are very similar because they get a lot of those from the laws of Moses and things of that nature. And not all of them, but some of them there. And so as we look at this, we see letter C, that the law had a definite beginning and ending in relation to its purpose. 
It had a purpose. God was doing something. What was God doing? The Bible tells us in Exodus 19, verse number 5, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter number 3, verse number 19, the Bible tells us, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So do you see the fact there that the law was added? Do you see why it was added? Because of sin. You had to have a law, right? Imagine, you know, you look at, you look at the United States, imagine how it would be if there were no laws. And you kind of see that in some places. You can break laws and they don't do anything to you for some things. And you wonder, how is that going to work as a society? It's not going to work very well. Because when you have sinful people, laws need to be there and you need to uphold the law. That's why we have law officers and things of that nature. There's a, there's a point to it all. We don't get that today in our society, but there's a point to it all. And so as we look here, we see why it was here. And then we also see, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Chapter 5, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And... The law was there for a certain period of time, and why we'll talk about here in a couple minutes. We see letter D as we continue here. We understand that the law of God is perfect. It's complete. The Bible tells us in um, Romans chapter number 7 and verse number 12, it says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. So when we think on that, you've got to understand something. The, the law is perfect, and when we think of other words for number one, we see that the law of God is holy. It's holy. It is a declaration of God's holiness. When we think about the Lord and who he is, the Bible says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. We have a holy God. His law is going to be holy. Number two, his law is just. We just read it just a minute ago in verse number 12 of chapter 7 there in Romans. God is a just God. Do you realize that tonight? And do you know, you might, you might turn on the news, you might hear about this law, or you might hear about this judgment. And it's amazing to me, you have all these judges saying this is okay and then this is not, and then it goes to a, third court of appeals, eight, ninth district, tenth, all this, and it goes all over the place, and one says one thing and one says something else completely opposite of that. The problem we have today is that when it comes to judges, and I don't care if you're on the right side or the left side of things, the judges of today are basing their decisions based on what political party they stand more with. And that's not right if they lean more conservative or if they lean more liberal. Either way, it's wrong. Because as a judge, you should be going by the law. And, but this is the thing. Men are not just. 
but God is. And so his law is just. We see number three, that his law is good. God's law is beneficial. It helps us. Imagine what society would be like without God's law. Imagine it's already a mess. If you want to know what God expects for perfection, just look at his law. Say, I, I, I'll get myself to heaven. Oh, you keep, you keep all of God's law. You're perfect at that one, huh? None of us are perfect at it. We all miss the mark because God's law is perfect, and men are not perfect. We see these things. Now, so then, okay, so we got the law. What's the point of having law? What's the purpose of the law? Number two, Roman numeral number two. What's the purpose? We actually look, what was God's purpose in giving law? What was God doing? What did God, what was God's plan here? We see through the Bible there were some things that God was trying to do by giving us the law. Letter A, we see it's to define what sin is. To define what sin is. Bible tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse number 7, what shall we, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So the law shows us what sin is. Doing the opposite of what the law says, right? The Bible tells us that same chapter in Romans, chapter 7, verse 13. That was then that which is good made dead unto me, God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. And we see the law was added to reveal sin as transgression. Sin is not a good thing. What was the purpose of the law to define sin? Letter B, to declare guilt. And although the law was given specifically to Israel, it was a testimony to the whole world of how, how, what, what the law should be. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, verse number 19, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Do you see that there? Though the law was given to Israel, it makes the fact that the whole world's guilty before God because they see the law. You see that? See what the verse says there? So what's the purpose in the law? To define sin, to declare guilt, let her see, to drive us to Christ. The law brings the sinner to the realization of his guilt and what sin is. And brings them to the place where we need Jesus Christ. Because man has this idea inside of us that we are good enough and that we can do enough to get to God. That's man's idea. Because I'll hear people, I'll witness to them and share the gospel. They're like, I just don't know if I can believe that. I have to do something. Man has that idea, I have to do something. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? We're going to sow some fig leaves up, and we're going to take care of our own selves. And God comes in and says, no, that's not going to work. And God gives them animal skins to put on. And God comes, and God shows how it should be. you got to understand something. We are not good enough. And the, when we talk about the law, we see in Galatians 3, verse 24, the Bible says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law was there to show us you're not good enough. Hey, Brian, you're not good enough to get to God. 
You will never get to God on your own. You break God's law. You will never be perfect with God's law. You need a Savior. You need someone who died in your place. You need Jesus. That's what the law says. That's why people who think you've got to keep the law, to, you're not going to keep the law. What happens when you fail with the law every day? So we see it's to drive us to Christ. Hebrews 7, 19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Could that verse be any better? I love that. The law made nothing perfect, but it brought us that better hope. It brought that better covenant, which we'll talk more about in just a little bit. So we see the purpose of the law is to define sin, to declare guilt, to drive us to Christ. But also you got to realize this, to help direct society. You have to have laws. You know, we have a Christian school here. And if you notice, every year the rule book gets thicker and thicker. Why are there rules in a rule book? Because people do things that make there be rules in a rule book. And we really should let some of the kids that have gone to school here, when they get a rule written after them, we should let them sign their name next to it and be their rule forever. You say, Pastor, do you ever have a rule written about you and your Christian school growing up? I plead the fifth on that one. Did you in college? I plead the fifth there as well. I don't think I did, but you never know. But you need, you need laws. You need them. Look at some of our big cities and the problems they're having. That's what happens when there's no laws in place. You think about it. In our city here in Chino, whatever, whatever our governor did a while back, unless you steal from a store $1,000, you're not going to get in trouble. I work with our police department here. Do you know people literally will go into Walmart and have their calculator out and add up what they steal and make sure it's not over $1,000 and walk right out the door and nothing happens? I don't know if taxes count or not. I don't know how that works. If that were me, I'd just make sure it's loaded up a little. No, I wouldn't even do that. No, I wouldn't. I hope I wouldn't do that. But it's craziness. And you wonder why we're the mess that we are as a society. Laws are important. And they're, and they're important, and we see that in the Bible. You've got to understand, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 1, verse 8 through 10, it says, But we know that the law is good. If a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinner, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured, well, yeah, perjured persons, perjured to look at that twice there. Perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, the law is good. It's good. And you notice the ones that have problems with the law most of the time are the ones that are breaking the laws. Anyways, we'll leave that there. The law is a good thing. I want you to realize something. The purpose of the law was to place man before God's, that's God's standard. Say, what does God want for me to go to heaven? There's God's standard, the law. You keep all of it, you could go. None of us have kept all of it. We all fall short 
of the glory of God. And because of that, we needed a Savior. And as we look at this tonight, as we think on these thoughts, you've got to understand something. The law was not complete. The law served its purpose. But Jesus came to bring grace. Jesus took, and the law, it's important, it's good to know the law, and there's lots I could say there. But I want you to understand something. I'm thankful tonight for God's grace. When we talk about grace, and we're switching from the law to grace, and I'll give some closing thoughts about both in just a little bit. But as we think on these things, I want you to see number one, Roman numeral number one about grace. Grace defined, it's the unmerited favor of God shown to the sinner. Put it this way. God's riches at Christ's expense. In the matter of salvation, and I don't know, I didn't put this in your notes, but you could place this there if you really wanted to. Grace is the undeserved kindness of God shown to a sinner in showing him just. Man, there's so much difference between the law and grace. I could have, I wanted to print out a, um, a a little chart for you, and I didn't do it. Maybe I'll go back and do it. But do you realize the law prohibited man from being able to approach God? Man could not go on their own to God. The priest at certain times could. But Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The law condemns the sinner, but grace redeems the sinner. The law says, Do and live where grace says, I've done it for you. The law says, try, and grace says, it is finished. The law curses the sinner, but grace blesses the sinner. The law slays the sinner, the grace saves the sinner. There's so much I could say. The law says, pay what you owe, where grace says, it is paid in full. We could go on and on about the grace of God. We talk about his grace for a little bit of time tonight. Roman numeral number two, and we're going to move right along. We see how does, what's, okay, we got the Christian and the law. How does the law apply to a Christian? How should a Christian live? We're under the law, we're under grace today, right? So how should a Christian live based on the fact that we're under grace today? And we know the Bible's clear that we're under grace. Grace today. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse number 6, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Chapter, verse number 4, that same chapter, wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. They should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And as we look at these verses and see, how are we supposed to live? We're not under the law. We're under grace. The last verse there on your paper there, before we get to point number eight, we see Romans 6, verse 14 and 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So how should a Christian, what sh how, sh how should the law play a part of our lives today? Letter A. We see that holy living is a product of grace. Holy living is a product of grace. Look at what the Bible says in Titus chapter number 2, verse 11 and 12. 
For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What does it teach us? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Do I need to read that again, or did you get it the first time? So God's grace, what should we get from that? It teaches us that we should live a holy life. Now, may I just tell you tonight that living a holy life is not, it's not, get, it, living a holy life, you don't gain favor with God. The work of God saving you produces this in our lives. So this is where some Christians get it wrong. I don't live for God and think if I do this and if I live this way and if I live a holy life, then I'm going to get closer to God by doing this. No, 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 no. Quit thinking you can do anything to get anywhere with God. It's all through Christ. Or is it not all through Christ? It's all through Christ. But I will tell you this, that the grace of God teaches you that you should live a holy life. And there's no excuse not to, because that's what this verse says, right? How we should be living. Holy living is a product of grace. Letter B, we see the fact that Christians are under a new law. What's the new law that we're under? You could call it the law of love, right? This is my commandment, that you love one another. Isn't that what Jesus said? John 15, 10 says, Russ, I'm glad you're awake even on your birthday. That's awesome. Sometimes by now you're normally out and dropping things back there, but you're still awake going good. It's going to be a good, your 76th year, I'm really looking forward to this, if this is how it's going to be the next year. Having you more awake and saying an amen here and there. That's a good thing. John 15, verse 10, If he keep my commandments, he shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Galatians 5, 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What are we supposed to do? Love God and love your neighbor. Right? Galatians 6.2 Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We call it the law of love. You call it the law of Christ. That's what it is. James chapter 1 verse 25 says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continuing therein, he being not forgetful here, but doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. As we look at these verses and we see these things, we see how we're supposed to live. The law of liberty. Do you see that there? There's another word you could use. 1 John 3, verse 22 and 23. And whatsoever ye ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Do you see that there? That's how we should live today as Christians. Say, well, I'm under grace. You are. But God's grace teaches you that you should be living right for him. It doesn't excuse you to sin and live life as you please. You've been bought with a price. And God's grace teaches us how we should live. As a Christian, we're under a new law. The law of Christ, the law of love, however you want to look at it there. And then lastly tonight, number three, Roman numeral number three. I just want to look at liberty and legalism for a minute. And actually it should have been legalism and liberty is the order it should have been, but that's okay, because you'll see in just a second. 
we will um, start with legalism, letter A. When we talk about legalism, number one, legalism is the addition of the law keeping works to the gospel of grace. That's what legalism is. When we talk about this, you think about there are lots of different doctrines and different churches and different ideology out there. I'll give you a few thoughts here. Catholicism does not believe in Christ alone. Catholicism, there are sacraments that come into play. So you could say, let's just use Catholicism for a second. I would say it is faith and faith plus sacraments. That is adding to the gospel of grace. You could look at the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Faith plus their Sabbath-keeping. You could look at um, the Pentecostal movement. They believe you have to be baptized by the Spirit. I've sat down with a few people that go to um, Victory Outreach here in town. And we get confused with Victory Outreach. People do that sometimes. There's a big difference between the two. But I sat down with them, and their, and their belief, because they were, they were, we had a prison ministry here for a long time. And they were going in under our prison ministry. And one day I was told, hey, Pastor, do you know we have a prison ministry, and you're technically the head of it? Like, oh, great. No, I didn't know that. Didn't have a clue about that. We have other people that go, oh, I'm like, well, let's meet with everybody. If I'm going to be the head of something, then I need to know who's going in under our name. And so we sat down, and, you know, we're talking, and, and you know, they're like, oh, we're fine, no big deal. And then we got talking, and they don't believe you can be saved without, without being baptized by the Spirit. So that is faith plus works. And legalism is the adding of law keeping to the gospel of grace. What else is legalism? I mentioned this earlier, is basing your standing with God by how you live. Your basis tonight for your stand with God comes down to Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I think a lot of times, and I'm just going to park here for a quick second because we're almost out of time here, but I think sometimes the trouble we get in in our Baptist churches is we try, the pastors, and even this thought of trying to make people live a certain way so they can get closer to God in this, it's not, that's not what the Bible teaches, but I think we, and sometimes you got to understand, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He's going to correct you, and he's going to teach you what you need to do. I'm not your Holy Spirit. It's not my job to play the Holy Spirit in your life. It's my job to be your pastor and help guide you on certain things, but it's not my job to scare you and to make you live a certain... You need to follow Jesus and follow his word and what his word says. Legalism letter number three is not holy living. Sometimes we as Christians get called legalists because we live whole, we believe in holiness. That's not a right stand either. Now, if you're only living holy because you're trying to get something from God, there's a problem there. Do you get the little caveat there? Living holy, though, is not legalism. And a Christian should live holy. Because that's what grace teaches us we should do. But if you're doing it to gain something from God, it is wrong. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Because you're not going to gain anything from God out of it. Number four. 
Legalism is not having standards and convictions. There are people that say, oh, those Baptists sometimes, those standards and convictions, they're legalists, legalists. It is good to have standards and convictions in your life. But make sure you know the difference between a standard and a conviction and a preference. I will teach, sometime I'm going to teach the whole message on that one there. Because Baptists are, have a very tough time in this one. You see, this is what happens. The Bible lays out principles all throughout the Bible. Those Bible principles, and this is the thing, the, the Word of God convicts us, right? So you will have convictions based on the Word of God. So you will have biblical convictions. Convictions are a good thing. If God's Spirit is not ever convicting you, you got something wrong, okay? I'd make sure you're saved, first of all. And then make sure you're not so far away from it, you can't hear from Him. But you think about this, it starts with, so that you read the Bible, and you get a biblical conviction. Then, you have to develop a standard for that conviction. Now, people's standards could be different. I'll give you a couple of examples. I'm not going to go deep down this road tonight, but I'll give you some examples. The Bible's clear that modesty is important to God. I'm not stretching that. That is Bible truth. And if you say, I just haven't been convicted about that, come sit down with me and I'll show you some verses and see if that convicts you a little bit. Maybe you skip the verses. You, that's what we do anyways, right? We skip the verses we don't want to see. But this is the thing. So someone's standard on their conviction could be, you know, their family, they're going to have their, they're going to be covered from their nose all the way down to the ground. That could be their standard. I don't see in the Bible it says you need to be covered from your nose down to the ground. The Bible says you need to be modest. That's important. I think modesty is a good thing for men and women, both. But you have biblical convictions. People are going to differ on where the standard is and where they set the standard. Like I will give you for myself growing up. I had a biblical conviction that God wanted me to stay away from fornication. That's in the Bible. Any young person in this room, it says to flee fornication. It's God's will. So that's a biblical conviction. So you have to have some standards in place to keep yourself from that conviction. Like my parents, my parents were so crazy with it, I couldn't hold a girl's hand. You say, was it a sin to hold a girl's hand? No. It doesn't say in the Bible that's a sin. But I'll tell you this, if you never hold a girl's hand, you're never going to get close to fornication. It's never going to come, right? It, it, right? Am I wrong on that? I'm not wrong on that. So, but then someone else might have the standard, it's okay to hug, you just can't kiss. Well, where do you draw? This is the thing. You say, well, I just don't know if that's, the Bible doesn't say. So you can't look at someone who has a different standard than you in those two areas and say that they're wrong. That's where we get in a lot of trouble. Because you need the same standard I have, or you're not right with God. And last time I checked, nothing you do makes you right with God. What made you right with God is what Jesus Christ did for you, and that's it. So someone else might have a different standard than you do. Okay. Let God work on their heart. You can't get around convictions. They're biblical, and you should have biblical convictions. There should be a reason why you live the way you live. 
And the Bible teaches those things. And then you set your standards for those things. And then you need to teach your children. This is what the Bible says, and this is a conviction we have in this house. Because we have this conviction, there are standards that we're going to hold so that we don't go down that road. There's, I could go on for hours on this one, and maybe sometime I will, sometime soon. We get so caught up on all these different things. And it's not legalism to have standards and convictions. It's good Bible living to have standards and convictions. And don't lose sight of that. But people will tell you differently. And that's why, that's why it's so tough. That's why it's so tough. My background and where I grew up, where I grew up was so strong and so strict on every little thing. And then I know some people, they come from the side where it's loosey-goosey, and there was nothing, you know? No, and then you, then if you get anywhere near the middle, you're a compromiser because you're not here and you're not here. But you don't need to be over. That's, that's not what God call, it's called you to be. God called you to be balanced, full of grace and truth. But God didn't call you to be like that either. That's why it's so hard to find where you need to be. We'll talk more about that some other time because we're out of time. See, Lori's getting tired back there. Letter B under number three here, we see liberty. We see liberty. When we talk about that liberty, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5, 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. John 8, 32, and ye shall know the truth. And what's the truth going to do? It's going to make you free. As we look at this and as we close and we talk about liberty, we see, number one, the Christian liberty is freedom to obey the commands of God. For salvation, you really can't do a very good job on that one, can you? But you're free from sin now. You can do what God wants you to do. That's what Christian liberty is. And then Christian liberty number two, I think lastly tonight, no, there's a few others on there. Number two, we see it's freedom from the dominion of sin. Sin doesn't have to run and control your life. You have liberty tonight. Thank God for that liberty. Number three, number three, Christian liberty is the freedom to serve the Lord. Romans 6.22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And then we talk about the couple things that Christian liberty is not. Christian liberty is not freedom to sin. Oh, I can just do as I want. No, 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 no. Well, technically you can. It's not going to help you out. It's not going to be good for you. You're going to have a loving Heavenly Father that's going to pull out the little switch when he needs to and correct you and chasten you just a little bit. Christian liberty is not freedom to sin. We've already looked at those verses in Romans 6. And then lastly, number 5, Christian liberty is not the freedom to live as you please. Galatians 5.13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God tonight? I'm grateful for his grace. I'm grateful that I don't have to keep the law to keep God's grace. I'm glad that God's grace, it's unmerited, God's unmerited faith. We did nothing to get it. Thank God for his grace. And so I hope that tonight through this study, you see some differences between the law and grace and see how the law played an important part to get us where we are today. But we're not under that law. We do keep the moral law and we keep the laws of God, right? Yes, we're supposed to, but we're under grace today. 
thank God for that. Father,